So John says in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. It's no small thing for God to abide in a person. God had set up a pattern and showed, revealed himself to people saying, look, you are not holy. I can't come live in you. There's got to be a separation between you and me. God set up this whole elaborate system when he set up the tabernacle, which then became the temple in the Old Testament, and put barrier after barrier after barrier warning people, you can't come in here because you are not holy. But he still goes to people and he says, I am going to call you my people. I am going to call you my children. And it's something of a mystery to you how that can even be possible. And I'm not going to reveal it all to you yet, but it's fully revealed when Christ comes. And He makes us holy. So holy that God says, now I can live in you. He goes on in verse 15 and says that we also live in God. And so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is God's word to us. We've been looking a lot at what it means to love one another. Today I want to look specifically at this topic of fear because John introduces it in the letter for the first time. It's kind of an abrupt introduction here at the end of chapter 4. We've talked about how the letter is circular and revisits topic after topic after topic. And yet here is a new topic introduced right uh, almost to the end of the topic. I want to begin with a question What is fear? What do we fear? Just this morning, I was reading an article about a a snake that was found on the beach in uh, Ventura County, just uh, north of of us, thankfully. It was a yellow-bellied sea viper that is evidently very venomous. said it hasn't been found in a beach near us in something like 30 years. Last time was... Uh, time of El Nino. Now, I'm not particularly afraid of the water, nor am I particularly afraid of snakes. 
but snakes in water? That's a different story. I still remember in, uh, taking a, a tube ride down a, a creek one time and, and just seeing a small snake on the side. The image is ingrained in my memory. I can't imagine coming face to face with a sea viper and knowing that it's venomous. Let me share one other fear for you this morning as uh, everybody was kind of coming in. Um, you know what the most fearful time in the life of a pastor is? It, it's the, the five minutes or so from the time the pastor welcomes the small group and then he turns around and he faces forward and he wonders if when he turns around again there's actually going to be somebody to preach to that day. That is a fearful moment. What, but let me turn the question around and a- ask you, I mean, what, what are the things that you fear? What is, what is fear and, and, and what does fear have to do with love? I think there's a, an intuitive sense that our fears get in the way of love. There's some relationship there, perhaps. I was uh, researching this week on the topic of fear and and I went to, uh, to listen to um, a podcast of, of the NPR show that highlights different TED Talks. You may have heard it before. It's not just one TED Talk, but it kind of s- combines a few TED Talks, these 20-minute uh, these talks on different subjects uh, that are popular nowadays. And I, I figured that I would find a, 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 at least one episode that focused on fear. And I did. But what surprised me was that just two weeks after the episode on fear entitled uh, What We Fear was a, an episode entitled How We Love. I think that there's something to that thematic connection between love and fear. And John affirms that, but it's done so in a little bit of a, a, a confusing way. The question of what fear is he talking about? How does fear get in the way of our love? But is that even the main point that he's trying to make in this passage about love and fear? So let's start with just looking at fear itself. What, what, is, what is fear? In that TED Talk, or one of the talk, talks, there's an interview with a, an astronaut named uh, Chris Hadfield. He's been into space multiple times, and they were asking him, what, what does he fear the most? He was describing the countdown and how it feels like a roller coaster ride where you just hear the chink, 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 knowing that you're getting higher and higher and in a more dangerous place at each point, and then like a giant kicking his foot in the back of, in your back, you're just thrust into the atmosphere and the risk of catastrophic catastrophic failure in these launches is 1 in 38 and they asked him the question well why do you why do you do it why do you take the risk and he had a helpful answer he says well well first uh, fear fear is is an It's an autonomic reaction that we have as human beings to a perceived danger. 
In other words, fear is natural. It's something that comes into us. It's something that indicates that something is dangerous. He said, if I'm going to take a risk, I want to know that it has a purpose. If I'm going to take a risk, I want to know that it has a purpose. Now what this is speaking to is not the fear necessarily that John is speaking of here. He says love casts out fear. He's talking about doing away with fear, but what we need to understand is that fear is also helpful. Fear is like pain. Pain indicates to us that we have an injury. It indicates to us we need to sit down and not keep running. It tells us that we need to pay attention to something. Fear alerts us to a danger. And Augustine said this, fear actually prepares a place for love. In the front of your bulletin, I quoted from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, a verse that probably many of us know. Fear, fear of God in particular, is the beginning of wisdom. Augustine is pointing out that fear, even in this sense, has a purpose. It prepares a place for love or agape, which is also sometimes called charity, which is a giving to others. But Augustine goes on to say that once charity has begun to inhabit our lives, once love has begun to inhabit our hearts, the fear that prepared the place for it is cast out. In other words, fear alerts us to the danger But once we know God and His love, it casts out that fear that was once useful to us. Now a question that follows on this is, how then do we know that love that casts out fear? Because I know that I don't have to even convince you that all of us struggle with fear. All of us know what it is to be anxious about certain things. All of us know how fear can grab a hold of our lives and reshape decisions that we make, cause us to lose sleep, impact the way we love other people, turn us into selfish animals who are only concerned with surviving ourselves. And for many of us, we come to a passage like this and we say, man, I feel guilty that I don't love other people. If only I loved other people more, then fear would be cast out. And I want you to know that that is like going out to a thermometer on a hot day and reading that it says 100 degrees and breaking open the thermometer so that the mercury leaks out and saying, ah, now it's cooler. I fixed the problem. Because all of us have tried to just do more love so that it casts out fear and we've found that it doesn't solve anything. 
And John is telling us that there's a different kind of love that casts out fear. He says in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but not just love, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Or when love reaches its fullest, fear is cast out. I think all of us recognize that we're we're falling shy of perfect love. And so is the answer for me to just go and say, perfect your love. No, that's breaking the thermometer. Instead, we need to understand a couple of things about how God's love works in this whole process. The first thing is that God's love is the perfect love that casts out fear. God's love, it says is what comes and abides in us. Not just God's love, but God himself comes and abides in us. There's a a connection with God that can't be undone. There's a connection with God that is life-giving, like the vine and the branches that are connected, and there's, there's stuff flowing back and forth. And God even goes on to say it's not just God abiding in us, but us abiding in God. There's a lifeline there. And God is saying, look, my love is perfected when your love is an extension of my love. Now think about this. Is there anything lacking in God's love itself? Is there any shortcoming in God's love? No. Except that His love is actually perfected when we love more like He loves. You see what I'm saying? Our love perfects God's love. God, when He came and He set up His camp in our lives, tied Himself to us in such a way that He now, in a very real sense, can say, I am lacking something. I am lacking something that I am filling up. This word perfected can mean to fill up. I am filling up when you love others like I've loved you. Now if you think I'm entering into heresy, you're going to go back and check your Bible. Let me encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, when Paul talks about rejoicing in his sufferings. Let me turn that word upside down. Sufferings, oftentimes we think about all the pain that we feel. Sufferings in the Bible is oftentimes presented as something we endure on behalf of other people. Sufferings is another way, in other words, of saying that we love others. We bear their burdens. We endure even things that are a result of their sin in our lives. We suffer on behalf of them because we love them. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. You say, 
wait a minute, does that really say that in the Bible, that Jesus' afflictions are somehow calling, falling short? And the answer is yes. That the work that we do on behalf of others, for others, in love and suffering on others' behalf is part of God filling up, perfecting His love. Why? For the sake of his body. Not Jesus' body. Not the physical body that he inhabits now, but the broader body, he says, that is the church. That is the church. Our suffering and love is part of God perfecting his own love on behalf of those he loves, the church. That is the church. And you say, does that mean I only have to love the people sitting in this room? No, the church is bigger than what you can see in this room. Does that mean that I only have to love the people who say they are Christians? No, the church is even bigger than that. The church consists of all people who have or will believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That means that there are people outside of this building who are even mean and hostile and sometimes even killing Christians who are a part of Jesus' church, who we're called to love so that God's love would be perfected. Say, give me an example. Well, example chiefly it's the Apostle Paul who was a murderer of Christians. Augustine, when he writes about this this book, this letter of 1 John, makes a point over and over that we're called to love our enemies. And it's easy to read through the whole letter of 1 John and say, it never talks about loving people who are enemies of me or of Christ. But Augustine searched the scriptures back in the 4th century and he understood that Christ's call was to love our enemies and so by some will be saved. And so God calls us to this love because we've been loved by him. And God uses this love to share the gospel with others. You say, well, why the fear? Why is the fear even mentioned here? And the fear is mentioned, again, to warn us. The fear is mentioned to be a helpful nudge in the direction of love. The fear is even there to help us to realize our own shortcomings in love. Fear is a, a consuming thing, oftentimes. Fear is something that we don't like to talk about. We don't like to admit it to others. It makes us look weak. But if we don't deal with fear, we have to 
openly. We have to deal with it some way. And here are some of the ways that oftentimes fear leads us to not know God's love and blocks us from truly knowing Christ. And it's a, it's an awful, <coughs> perpetuating, self-perpetuating cycle. I mean, for some of us, for some of us, we just deny any fear. We ignore it. We pretend it's not there. But Paul, but John here, John is saying, you can't just put off fear. The ultimate fear, the chief fear, is not the little fears of snakes and even of preaching that you face in the daily life. The ultimate fear for all of us is the fear he talks about, verse 17, when he says that we would have confidence for the day of judgment. The ultimate fear for all of us is looking at death and having to face the fact that all of us will die and asking the question, what will happen when we die? The theologian, the pastor, Rob Bell, some of you know of, who was faced a lot of controversy recently for a book that he wrote called Love Wins, wasn't willing to address this question. Ultimately, in this book, he says, look, we, we don't need to talk about the judgment of God, really. We can just talk about God's love because in Christ, love wins. And some of the time you hear me preach sermons that sound a lot like that. You probably sometimes have gone away and wondered, did, did he just say love wins? We don't need to talk about justice, judgment, justice. The problem with that is that we don't do justice to what the Bible does say, what Jesus himself, who is oftentimes considered the champion of love, even by those who reject Christianity, warns about the very real, very real judgment that faces us at the end of life. We can't deny death. One of you loaned me a book recently by a psychologist and cultural anthropologist, Ernest Becker, Becker entitled The Denial of Death, saying that many of our cultural problems come from this refusal to look ahead and consider what may happen at death. The TED Talk, one of the TED Talks was on a fear of death. And from what I could gather, he was ultimately saying, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Live life today. Eat, drink, and be happy. But Jesus comes and he says, no, you have to think about it. You have to think about it. And if you're not afraid of it, your thermometer's off. If you haven't considered what happens at the end of life, where death comes from itself, your thermometer is broken.
fear prepares us. Fear identifies the belief, what stands in the way of that. Well, multiple times in the Bible, Jesus speaks of death in a place of eternal death, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he does it in some interesting contexts, surprising oftentimes. Matthew 8, he tells the story, or we're told the story of Jesus interacting with a centurion, that is a, an army official charged to look over a hundred soldiers in the Roman army, not a Jew, not even necessarily a God-fearer, do, do we know that he was, somebody who was not a Jew, but was, was uh, recognizing who God was. The centurion comes to him and asks for help. And Jesus says, look, nowhere in all of Israel have I seen faith like this. He says there's a reason for it. The centurion, the centurion recognized that he was one who was under authority. What stands in the way of our recognizing fear? What stands at the end where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, as Jesus says at the end of this story? Oftentimes, it's our autonomy and not wanting to be under the authority of anyone else. Jesus says, look, this soldier knows what it is to be under authority. The soldier himself said, I... I know what it is to be under authority. Jesus, I submit to your authority. Are you in a place of denying death because you've made yourself your own God and don't want to consider the possibility of anything else after life? I had more on that, but I'm going to pass over this and go on to the next. Are you denying death or... Is there another way you deal with fear? Do you self-medicate? Do you distract yourself? Now this takes all kinds of forms. For some people it's substance abuse. Quiet the voices in our head with alcohol or drugs. Or perhaps overeating food to the point where we forget about other things. For other people it's entertainment or, or other pleasures that oftentimes are good things but when taken to certain points or certain places, they become evil things. They become perverted things. They drown out those voices in our head, the, the fear, the helpful fear of God. Some of the time, we even find this type of medication, self-medication in our relationships. I was just watching a documentary on the comedian Robin Williams recently, and how... He was so troubled in his soul. And I know that Robin Williams visited different churches oftentimes, both in New York City and San Francisco, gospel preaching churches trying to find meaning. But the story of this documentary told how Robin Williams would just bounce from place to place. And he would oftentimes go to one friend for 20 minutes, then go to another, and then go to another, and go to another. The point where he was just trying to quiet quiet the fears in his mind to give him calm. Still others of us quiet the fears by just flat out self-deception. 
Jonathan Edwards in his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, talks about the very real nature of judgment. And sometimes that sermon is misunderstood. I'd encourage you to go read that sermon because it is full of God's grace. He says one of the things we do is that we go to extreme pains and contrivance to try to escape hell. That is, we work hard and try to love other people, try to do good in such a way that we convince ourselves we're good enough to earn God's favor. He says, still, those don't secure them for one moment because the Bible tells us that God has made no promises of deliverance from eternal death Accept what is promised, what is given in Christ, in whom all the promises are yes and amen. The weight of that sermon is huge until you come to that line. He's made no promises, but what are given in Christ, in whom all the promises are yes and amen. Are you using one of these ways of trying to calm and quiet your fears and coming to the end of the day and still not being able to sleep? Racing around to different things, still trying to find some type of comfort. The only comfort... The only comfort that the Bible offers is the comfort that comes from us abiding in God and He in us that comes from knowing Jesus Christ and Him abiding in us. To know that His love is in us and we are who we are for the sake of, for, for nothing else except that He has chosen to love us. And that love casts out fear. Jesus comes in and there's no way for fear to stay in. Fear has to leave. Now you say, I believe that. I think Jesus is living in my heart, but I'm still experiencing fear. Why is that? I'm going to borrow from a sermon I heard just this week, preached just this last week by a man in the area. If you hear his sermon, you can say, Mike stole from that. He plagiarized that. (laughs) And he points to another theologian that's really helpful on this, a man named John Owen, who was a pastor back in the 1600s, not only a pastor, but the president of Oxford College in England. wrote a book, uh, a number of books, but one of them uh, most helpful is called Communion with God. And in this book, he talks about a difference between what it means to be united with Christ. When we believe, when the Holy Spirit moves us to this belief, Jesus comes and unites us to him like the vine with the branches. 
But he says we need to understand there's a difference between union with Christ and communion with God. There's a difference between union with Christ, which is un... How do you say it? Negatable. Cannot be undone. And what we experience as our communion with God that waxes and wanes with our own successes and shortcomings. With our own following God's commands and then falling back into patterns, even habits of temptation, of sin, doubting God's promises, failing to love one another, even hating one another. It says our communion with God impacts the confidence that we have in our own mind as to whether we're loved by God. It hinders our ability to love others because it gives a place, a room, sometimes even the living room, back to places of fear and doubt and wondering even if we are saved ourselves. He says, but there's a way to cultivate that communion with God that will increase our confidence in who we are in Christ. All the while, while we're wrestling with communion with God, God holds fast our union with Christ and our salvation. This other pastor talked about it as the secret of abiding in Christ. And he said, look, there are no shortcuts to it. The secret of abiding in Christ, of having this communion with God, of experiencing that type of confidence comes through our spiritual disciplines. Through the time that we spend attending worship, hearing God's word preached. The time that we spend enjoying the sacraments with one another. The time that we spend meeting with God first thing in the morning when we wake up to reform our fears and reset them to fear God first and experience His love in a way that casts out the other fears. To enter into extended periods of time with God in prayer. To do this both morning and evening. To delight in knowing God and knowing His people. And as we know God more fully, we can love His people more fully. And as we see that we're loving His people more fully, we see evidence that we're loving Him more fully. Now, I don't know, many of us, some of us may struggle with this. John says, look, you can fool yourself into thinking you love God. But the true test of whether or not you love God is whether or not you're loving people well. It's the thermometer. It's the measure. You can't break it and just go out and pretend you're loving people and then convince yourself you, know, you love God. It doesn't work that way. The fear stays in there. 
but don't fool yourself into thinking you can love God and have some type of private faith if you're not loving God's people. Engaged regularly with one another, and that's not just the people that you like. It's the people that are difficult to love sometimes. It's the people that take your energy out of you oftentimes. I mean, what is fellowship in the church? It is that we experience what C.S. Lewis calls friendship type of love, the type that says, you like that? Oh, I like that too. Let's, let's get together. We enjoy that type of But also the charity kind of love it takes work and effort. Now I think, I'm still exploring this, I think when we actually do those things, then there's the charity kind of love brings people into the friendship, and the friendship kind of love often requires the charity and loving people that we're even friends with in difficult ways. I don't know, I'm still working on that. But I think that's what it is. But it all begins, it all begins with God's love that is given to us. We love because God first loved us. And that's the kind of love that casts out fear Legitimate fear. Even, even the fear of God and his judgment. Because it replaces it with a, convict, a confidence that his love will endure. That our union with Christ is secure. It's a good place to stop here. Ask me questions. Maybe we'll continue with it a little bit more next week. We'll see. Let's pray. our compassionate Father and loving Lord Jesus Christ. You have shown us where fear leads, either to loneliness, despair, isolation, or to communion and union with you. Father, would you use fear to set us on the right path and then replace that fear with love. That we would love one another as you have loved us. Suffering on behalf of others. Loving others to fill up what you still have to fill up in your own life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.